Okay, so Genesis chapter seven. Um, last time we got pretty much the end of six, seven, eight, and nine are going to all be dealing with Noah. So more than likely we're going to be talking about the same thing pretty much for the next couple of weeks, but just different different aspects of it. Um, the the flood and the ark <clears throat> and all that is uh, it's a picture of it's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of judgment. It's a it's a picture of the uh, the exclusivity of salvation in that there's only one way, only one ark, and so you're either in the ark or you're outside the ark, and so we're gonna we're gonna see all that as we get to it, and and today is when we're gonna talk about the rain starting and and the flood and and all that, um, and it kind of bounces back and forth, so we'll see that as we go as well, but. Um, what would you say would be the the theme? Why is this here? Like, how does this develop the story that we started in Genesis chapter one? What's God doing in all this? Really, the main actor in Genesis is God. Is God doing this and that? What is God doing through through Noah and the flood and all that? I mean, we all know the story of the flood. I probably wouldn't even have to read it to you. <clears throat> What's God doing? What is he, he he gave a promise and what was the promise? All right, everybody everybody wake up. Did you get you some coffee? To destroy everything Well that was yeah, he's he already told Noah he's gonna destroy everything. But I'm talking about in Genesis one, two, and three. What's the theme of the Bible? What's the purpose statement? Yeah, he's going to bring forth a seed of the woman that's going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And so, who is the seed of the woman in this episode? Yeah, there you go. It's Noah. He is not the tree. He's not the. He's not the fulfillment of the seed, but he is the line through whom the seed is going to come. What characterizes the line of the seed and the line of the serpent? See, every week we're going to have a test. Y'all got to pay attention. <clears throat> what characterizes the line of the seed? Is it just because who your daddy is? No. What's, what characteristic embodies the seed of the, the, the line of the God's seed? What you believe in. What you believe Yeah, sort of. Sort of. It's faith, isn't it? Faith in God. It's your trust in God. Remember we talked about those genealogies? One genealogy, they were characteristically had faith in God. We saw Enoch and we saw Lamech and we saw all those guys. And the other genealogy had faith not in God but in their own works and their own uh, cultural progression. You know, they were making stuff to, to kind of stave off the effects of the curse. If you weren't here for all those lessons, you probably need to go back and listen to them. This is like, we are, we are reading through a book. This is, Genesis is a book and you have to read through it. You skip a couple chapters, you're going to be lost. And so, the the point of the point of the flood is we saw just to give you a quick summary if you weren't here um, the point of the flood is that uh, we saw the 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 line of the seed the line of the seed the line of the serpent both of them grew alongside each other one trusted in God one had faith in God walked with God the other 
you know, did built stuff and, and advanced culture in order to uh, stave off the effects of the curse. And then in Genesis 6, we saw the lines started to meld together as the sons of God came and took daughters among the daughters of men. And so it, it got mixed up where wickedness just abounded on the earth and there were no more. There was no more separation in the lines. And so God decides, you know what, I'm just going to I'm going to flood the whole place. We're going to start over. And so he, he chooses a man, chooses Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's why he was righteous. That's why he had faith, because he was found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, God is going to use Noah and his family to repopulate the earth. And he is going to, after, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but after the flood, he's going to set some uh, guidelines, some, you could call them laws, in place to keep the world from being filled with violence like it was the first time. Uh, he's going to you know, tell Noah, if a man sheds another man's blood, then by, his, by, his, by a man his blood shall be shed. And all those kind of things he's going to say, you know, put to death an animal that kills a man. And he's going to do all that after the flood. But up until this point, the earth is filled with violence. And God is, what if God, why, why didn't God just wipe out the whole thing? and recreate an atom. I mean, this, this is not in the text. Why don't you think that he did that? That would cut out the line of Seth, right? Well, it would. Why didn't he just kill everybody instead of just... Grace? Yes, grace, that's true. But he, were, even if he had start o started over, the only way <coughs> things would have been different is if he had taken away our free will. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and true. That, so we would have just been a world full of robots, and he'd have to do that. He created us to love. Right. And out of love. But he, that's true. But he made a promise, didn't he? Right. If he killed everybody, including Noah, there's no way he could fulfill his promise that he made to Adam. And God is a God that's always going to keep his promise. And so he is going to preserve all that's true. That's that's absolutely true. But all but he is going to keep his promise. He made a promise in Genesis 3:15 and <clears throat> pardon the pun, but come hell or high water, he is going to keep his promise. And so he preserves Noah and he preserves Noah's family. So in chapter 7 <laughs> We're going to give, he's going to give, remember he told Noah to build the ark. We told him, we talked about how big the ark was and he gave him the specifications and how to build it, what needs to happen. Uh, and in verse one, we're going to snapshot ahead to the ark is completed now. And now it's time for the, now it's time for the rain to start. And verse one, it says, and the Lord said to Noah, come thou and all thy house in, into the ark for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Why was Noah righteous? Is it just because he's better than everybody else? Mm -hmm. <coughs> no. Why is he righteous? Huh? He is faithful. Why is he faithful? I'm like one of them kids. Why? 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 Huh? Because God has Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's going to be the answer to a lot of our questions. So it, I could say, hey, guys, y'all be like Noah. And of course, we need to be like Noah. He was faithful in his generation. But you always need to remember that Noah was a man just like you and I. He was sinful just like you and I. When it says he was blameless and righteous in his generation does not mean sinless. It means faithful. It means faithful. 
faithful because God's grace has changed him just like it changes changes us today. And God says, I have seen that you are righteous. Now, because we're splitting all these up, you know, we did chapter six, the end of chapter six last week and then beginning chapter six week before. Because we're splitting all these up, some of this might be kind of disjointed when we talk about it. But when he says, I've seen that you are righteous over uh, uh, before me in this generation, that is opposite what he said about the world. He says, I'm going to flood them for I have seen that they have filled the world with violence and wickedness and all. So he's <clears throat> he's setting Noah opposite to the generation. I have seen that they are violent and wicked. I have seen that you are righteous in this generation. <laughs> and so his righteousness came from grace. It's not just do better. It's grace that is expressing itself in faithfulness to God. That is the characteristic of the line of the seed. Remember? Faith. Enoch walked with God. It said last chapter, Noah walked with God. They are faithful. And so Noah is all by his lonesome in a world full of wickedness. He is the only one that is trusting God, the only one faithful to God. And he's the only one that's going to be delivered. Um, he, so God gives him instructions. He tells him what to do. And you probably know these instructions. It says, Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, male and his female. And of the, the beasts that are not clean, by two, male and his female. Of the fowls also by air, by sevens, the male and female, to keep seed alive upon the face of the earth. Remember we talked about two by two in the pairs. God told them, uh, God told Noah before in the last chapter, I'm going you're going to uh, you're going to take pairs into the ark here. He's this is not a contradiction. This is a uh, he, he's being more specific about what's going to happen. He's going to take seven pairs of the unclean animals or no seven pairs of the clean animals and one pair of the unclean. And we talked about that a little last week. Why did he, why is he taking seven pairs of the clean animals? To sacrifice, yeah. It could also be for food, you know, like eat, eat munch on a couple doves while you're waiting for the water to go down. But more than likely, he's going to sacrifice when he gets out of the ark. So more than likely, it is by sacrifice. We're going to see that when he gets out of the ark, he starts to sacrifice. And <clears throat> I don't know why I can't clear my throat. He is going, you can't sacrifice the unclean animals. It's got to be the clean animals. And so he says, the reason why they're going to come to you, the reason why you're going to take them in the ark is for what? It says it right there in verse 3. To keep the seed alive. To keep creation alive. God's being merciful to creation. He is going to keep alive all the animals. God's being merciful. He's showing his grace. He's not just wiping everything out. He's going to begin Again, And he's also merciful to Noah. In verse 4 he says, For yet seven days and I will cause it to rain upon the earth, forty days and forty nights. Every living substance, every living thing, everything that draws breath, I, I have made, will I destroy from the face of the earth. He gives Noah the time frame. All right, the time Noah has been building this boat for a hundred years or however long. We don't know exactly, probably 120 years. I think it, it, it's something like that. I read that somewhere. Maybe we'll get to it. But he's built 
decade after decade building this boat. Now God says, okay, it's time. In seven days, I'm going to start the judgment upon this, upon this earth. In seven days, he says, I'm going to cause it to rain. Forty days, forty nights. And he says, and everything's going to die. Now, notice that God takes responsibility for the destruction of the world. God takes responsibility. You ever met somebody who would say, there's a lot of, lot of people that say, that a lot of people have a problem with uh, passages in the Old Testament where it says, and God wiped everybody out, or God sent this army and killed everybody, and uh, God sent the Israelites and commanded them to kill all the, the men and the women and the children and the animals and everything. Um, God doesn't shy away from the responsibility of this flood. Imagine, now we're talking about the whole world. We're talking about men, women, children, babies. We're talking about everybody except for the eight people in the ark. Noah's three kids, their wives, Noah and his wife. And God takes responsibility. He says, I am going to destroy everything. Why does, why does God, we know why, because he's judging. But what do you think about that? Does that make God a big meanie? No. Huh? Huh? Nothing. Understand that we, there's something in all of us. We just be honest. There's something in all of us that says, I mean, how could you do, how could you do that? I mean, that's, that's, I mean, you get a picture of the flood. You think about all these wicked men running around killing each other. And yeah, God's going to get them. But then you think all these wicked men had families. You know, people were having kids, old kids get, you know. And that starts to make you think, you know, that's really rough, isn't it? But the reason we think that way is because we don't have... We don't have a biblical view of sin. We don't have a biblical view of sin. God is holy and just. And sin will be punished. Sin will be judged. People have the idea today that God is this fuzzy bunny granddaddy in the sky. And he's just going to say, oh, come on. Be my bud. You know, come hang out with me. It's all good. When the reality is his holiness is terrifying. It's frightening. It's... uh. His righteousness is unyielding. It's unbending. It doesn't, it doesn't make deals. It doesn't, doesn't take circumstances into account. He is a perfect judge and will judge perfectly. There's no mitigating circumstances. There's no excuses. There's no nothing. If you break the law, the law of God, judgment is going to find you. Condemnation will find you. It will be ultimate. It will be eternal. And it will be very unpleasant. And that's why we need to understand that this is a big deal. That Jesus came to take that off us. That he came to remove the punishment of sin. He came to remove the condemnation of, of sin. This is not just, a, you know, a lot of times we think of the gospel and we think, you know, uh, well, it's a good thing I'm saved and, you know, praise God. And, you know, I'm not as really on fire about it as I used to be and all it, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. When you think of when you think of the absoluteness of God's righteousness and his holiness, his judgment, that it is such that he he destroyed the entire living population of the world. 
And please, if you're if you have missed the last couple, get this Noah's Ark cartoony thing out of your mind. There were as Noah went in the ark, I can imagine. You know, I mean, imagine how you, 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 we get a picture of the people knocking on the on the side of the ark, going, "Let me in, let me in the water." But um, get a picture of the lady that's outside, going, "I've got a newborn baby." Please let me in. Please save me. I mean, this was terrifying. It was terrifying. It was scary. It was it was awful. It was awful. It was you could make a horror movie. I thought about writing a book one time about Noah's Ark before they started coming out with these dumb Noah movies. Uh, but about the just it would it would have been if you made a movie about Noah's Ark, a real movie, not the not the goofy story they Hollywood came out with. But it'd be a horror movie. I mean, it would be a horror movie. It would be absolutely terrifying. And so God says, I am going to destroy. In verse 4, I'm going to destroy every living substance that I've made. He has the right to do so because he made it. He created it. That's something that we... We might holler to the top of our lungs. It's not fair. Well, as a matter of fact, it is fair. God made it. He made you. He He owns you. Whether you like it or not, He created you. He fashioned you. You are not your own. You do. You owe your life and breath. I don't care if you uh, are a raving atheist or a born-again believer. You owe your life, your breath, your heartbeat. You owe God. You owe it to Him. And He has the right to take life because He is the one who gave life. You know, as a hospital chaplain, you always have to answer the question, why would God do this to me? And that, of course, that is not the time to bust in and tell them, well, now God owns you, so he can do what he wants. That's not the time to be doing that. You know, you have to be compassionate and caring. And, you know, most of the time, my answer is always the same. I don't have an answer for you. I don't I don't know why things happen the way they do. But for all of us sitting here, we know God's in control and he is... He is the one who gives life, and he's the one that takes life away. Well, we were talking about this yesterday when we were preparing food, and um, these weren't just strangers to Noah. These were people like he saw on a daily basis. <coughs> yeah. I mean, these weren't, he couldn't just look at them and be like, well, I don't know who they are. I mean, these were people he knew. He lived around. He can you imagine? Hey, so I'm I'm Bob. Remember me? I'm Bob. Let me yeah, in. Family. They were his yeah. family too. I mean, it had to have been like cousins and aunts and uncles and all that. It had to be family. Yeah, yeah. Like we can just hope and believe when our family member says, "I'm good, I'm safe." But like, it was almost. I mean, that showed him their heart. I mean. Yeah, and he already. Uh, Peter tells us in the New Testament that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So it's not like. You know, they had an opportunity. Noah's preaching to them. You know, Noah's trying to give them the gospel. Noah's more than likely he's saying, trust in God and get in the boat because he's going to he's going to flood everything, you know, everything. And of course, they do. They did like everybody else did. Yeah, maybe maybe some other time. You know, we got time. I mean, Noah's out there building for 100 years. You've been saying that for 50 years, Noah. You've been saying it's going to rain all this time. Whatever, whatever. Noah, you old crazy Noah out there building the boat. And then the rain starts. And then it gets about knee high, then waist high, then shoulder high. And all of a sudden, the terror of the reality of the situation comes upon folks. And you say uh, in, the, in the Gospels, Jesus says, Jesus says it'll be like in the days of Noah. It says, on the day that the rain started, 
They were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Life was just going on. I mean, it was just, they woke up that morning and it was a normal day. You know, I'm looking forward to going to work today. I'm going to got to get this done. I got to get this done. Oh, I hope this works out. You know, let's do, you know, we're going to get the, I was going to say mow the grass, but I know they ain't probably, they ain't mowing no grass in Noah's day. But they, it was just a normal day. It was a normal day. And the rain started and it didn't stop until everybody had drowned. And it was over. And that was it. Uh, and so... He says, and Noah did, verse 5, Noah did according unto all that the Lord had commanded him. His description of faith. He did, we saw that in Hebrews 11 the other day. He obeyed in faith. In faith, Noah did everything that the Lord had commanded him. Now, these next few things are kind of important, but we're going to see more about them in chapter 8. It says in verse 7, and Noah, or 6, Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were upon the earth. When, when the flood came, Noah was 600 years old. If you go all the way back to chapter 5, I think it's verse 32, I may be wrong about about that, uh, and you uh, see the genealogy that ended with Noah. His uh, he he had a son when he was five hundred years old. So at least one of his sons was a hundred years old when they went into the ark. So we're not talking about Noah and you know his his little little kids. We're talking about Noah and his grown kid. I mean, hundred years old. That's that's sure enough grown today. But he talking about. We're talking about uh, Noah and his hundred year old kids. He uh, six hundred years old when the flood waters upon the earth. It says, and Noah went in, and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of the clean beasts and the beasts that are not clean, of the fowls, everything that creepeth on the earth. There went in in two and two, that means by twos, unto Noah into the ark, uh, the male and the female, as God had commanded him. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. So they went into the boat. We're going to see in uh, verses 13 through 16, we're going to see that it, it almost seems like God shut them in, sealed them in before the rain started. He sealed them in on the day that they went into the ark. So th th you can make a case either way, but imagine what it would have been like. Noah says, okay, it's time to get in the ark. And all of a sudden it says that the subject of the sentence is that the animals came to Noah. So uh, Noah and his family gets ready to go in the ark. The animals come into the ark. God brought the animals to the ark. They all walk into the ark. They all get in the ark. God seals the door and then they sit there and wait for seven days. Can you imagine what them seven days is like? I can imagine his wife. Are you sure it's been the rain? I mean, or his kids or whatever. I mean, he's like, um, Pop, I don't, I don't see no, I don't see no rain. I don't see no rain. Seven days. And then it, and it begins, and it begins to, gets to rain. It rained exactly when God said, God told Noah, in seven days, I'm going to bring the rain. And in seven days to the day, he brought exactly what he said. The condemnation came exactly when he said. In verse 11, it says, now this is very, this is important. This is going to tell us how long Noah was in the ark. Um, 
when we get to it. Just remember to remember this. It says, in the 600th year of Noah, he was 600 years old, in the second month, the 17th day of the month. Just remember that. The second month is when Noah went into the ark. We're going to see that Noah doesn't come out of the ark until a year later. We talk about 40 days and 40 nights. That's how long it rained. And then the water prevailed 150 days. And then the water dry was drying for another 150 days. And then 40 days after that, uh, Noah's sending out birds. And then a week after the, the dove didn't come back, he leaves the ark. He's inside the ark for exactly a year. It's going to say on the second month of his whatever year, Noah departed the ark as God commanded. So he didn't just stay in the ark 40 days and 40 nights. There's, you know, so that's we know the story, and that's what we think. He stayed in the ark for a year. He was a year in the ark. Uh, imagine that being with all them animals for a year in your family. I mean, I can't, I can't be, I can't be with my extended family for a couple of hours. <laughs> but anyway, for a year, he was in the ark. He says, in the second month, the seventeenth day of the month, same day, were all the fountains of the deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. Also, understand this: the rain didn't just flood the earth. Forty days and forty nights of rain. Many people have said there's arguments from people that say, you know, just forty days and forty nights of rain couldn't have flooded the whole earth. It wasn't just rain from heaven. That flooded the earth. It says the fountains of the deep were open. The subterranean waters, the the uh, the springs that are underneath the ocean and underneath the underneath. You know, you dig deep enough in your in your uh, in your yard, and you're gonna hit water. You're gonna have a well. You know what I mean? All of those waters underneath the earth burst forth, and that's what flooded that and the rain that was coming for forty days and forty nights. All of those together burst forth, and that flood. The earth. Now, what you're going to see here, this is really interesting to me, it may not be interesting to you guys, is in the flood and in the, the days after the flood as Noah comes out of the ark and all, you're going to see, it's, it's going to be a, a picture of God decreating and then recreating. You remember at the very beginning of Genesis, what it what was it? God said in the beginning, you know, in the beginning there God created heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void, and the spirit moved on the face of the waters. And remember when he began to create on the first and second day, what did he do? He separated the waters from the waters below and the waters above. And what you're seeing here is the waters above and the waters below coming back together and destroying everything. And then you're going to see the same language as Noah is waiting later on in the next chapter, as Noah's waiting and sending out the doves and all those kind of things. You're going to see the same language that the water recedes, the water separates from the land and, you know, the dove is going to find an olive branch and then the dove's not going to come back. And that's how Noah knows that the water has, has receded. So God is blotting out He's blotting out creation. And the language that Moses uses here in writing this is to show us that it is a, it's a, he is a, decreation is not a very good word, but he's, he's, he's removing his creative hand to 
bring it back to chaos and then recreating after. Does that make sense? Now, he's not really recreating like let there be. I'm just saying, you understand what I'm saying? The waters that he separated at the beginning come back together to just wipe everything out. And then he separates them again. He separates them again as they recede from the land and Noah steps out and he is, Noah is a sort of a new Adam. He is going to start this new creation. And of course, we're going to see that he messes up. And then we're going to go again and God's going to choose Abraham and, and down the line all the way through Jesus. Y'all understand any questions, comments about that? No? Everybody had their coffee? Okay. Okay. So 13 through 16 says, In the selfsame day Noah entered the ark, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, those are the sons of Noah, is Noah's wife, three wives of the sons. And then they went into the ark. Then every beast after its kind, the cattle after its kind, every creeping thing creeps on the earth after its kind, every fowl after its kind, every bird of every sort. They went, into, they went unto Noah into the ark. Two and two of all flesh, where is the breath of life? And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, and God, as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The door is sealed. That means, it means one of two things, depending on where you're at. It either means God has saved you and has given you salvation and protection, deliverance, or God has condemned you and damned you. It's one of, the, one of the two, depending on where you are. If you're in the ark, the Lord sealed you in. You are safe. You are secure. You will not perish no matter what. He's going to deliver them completely in fulfillment of the promise that he made. If you are outside the ark, you are condemned. You can't get into the ark now. The door's shut. The option is no longer open for you. The way is no longer open to you. You can claw and scream and yell and beg and do all that you want to do. You will not get into the ark. And Jesus uses this ark, this Noah story, as a picture of salvation, doesn't he? He says, uh, just like, it's going to be just like on the day that Noah went into the ark. He says, there's going to be people eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. But when the door is shut, when the way is closed, when Christ returns, or when it's time for you to uh, pass from this life into the next, the door is going to be sealed. And you're either going to be on one side or you're going to be on the other. You're going to be eternally secure, uh, perfected in the promise of God, in the ark of God, or you are going to be eternally condemned knowing, understanding that the door was open for a lot, a lot of years for those people that were there with Noah. And on the day God told Noah to enter the ark, he sealed the door, he shut them in, and that sealed, it sealed their fate. The ark is the only deliverance here. There's no other way. You know, you can't get you. Well, I tell you what, you just stay in your ark. I'm going to get me a raft. You know what I mean? And I'm going to start floating around. No, the ark is the only way to be delivered delivered here in this in this story. Everything else perishes. And it's God's purpose to destroy everything. You see that? So it's not like, hey, it's a natural disaster. Let's hunker down and get us a couple of boats and we'll be okay. No, God has purposed to destroy you if you are not 
in the ark with Noah. He's purposed to blot everything out. And so that's, a, that's kind of a scary proposition. <clears throat> All right, let's finish up. <clears throat> what happens is that the ark is, is safe. Verse 17 says, The flood was 40 days on the earth, and the waters increased and bore up the ark. It lifted the ark. It was lifted above the earth. And the waters prevailed, which means they remained. They prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went up upon the face of the waters. All, everything died in the waters of the flood, but the ark was lifted above the waters of the flood. Notice the ark is not a boat. I mean, it is a boat, but it's not a boat in the sense that Noah wasn't driving. You know, that he couldn't steer. He wasn't, he, he, you know, the way that it's, the way that he built it, the way that the text reads that he built it, and the way that he sends out the, the I keep saying pigeons, the doves, uh, it, it, it almost looks like he can't even see out. You know, it's almost like he's sending the birds out through a skylight or something. It's almost like he can't even see what's going on out there. And so, really, he's just trusting in God. He's hunkered down in the ark. And God is moving the ark by the waters wherever God wants to. And God's going to bring the ark to rest wherever God wants to. So it's not like Noah is the great sailor that is fighting the tide and all that. No, he's trusting in God. This, is not a, this doesn't have a rudder. It doesn't have a steering wheel. It doesn't have a window for him to see out of other than the window that's in, you know, it says he put a window in the roof of the ark. Uh, so it's not a boat. It's just a, it's just a big rectangle box. And it is, it, it's at the mercy of God's will. And he's going to take care of it because he promised to deliver Noah. Noah, no, I mean, anything can go wrong. Can you imagine, can you imagine building a boat, an, even an ark, like building it to the, you know, like the, the ark people in Louisville build the ark? You know, can you imagine, can you imagine building that yourself? Not really having no, you know, I don't know anything about boats. I don't know anything about carpentry. I don't know anything about nothing. Can you imagine getting out there and building yourself and then just believing that when this flood that's going to kill everything comes, the ark that I built in my backyard is going to be okay. <laughs> anything can go wrong, especially... Especially back then, I mean, there he didn't. Like I said, he couldn't run to Home Depot and get nails. There wasn't no. He had to go cut the lumber. He had to. He had to make a hammer. If he's used a hammer, I mean, I don't know how he did it. I'm just saying, there was nothing. There was nothing that he could use or do that he didn't have to make himself. And he covered it with pitch in order to keep it sealed. Uh, anything could go wrong. I mean, you you spring a leak. Or, or whatever in your ark after the flood is higher than the mountains uh, and really you're just in there hunkered down uh, good luck good, I mean good luck you better be able to swim for a long time a whole year can you keep hold your breath for a year uh, anything could go wrong so we attribute and we rightly do we attribute and Noah attributes his salvation in the ark to God not to Noah's ingenuity or his building skills or anything like that it's it's to God he was trusting in God and God caused the ark to be safe and it could be no other way because God promised God promised that he would bring forth a seed of the woman that would that would crush the seed of the serpent y'all with me any questions or comments? Them. 
Well, especially right when the flood started. Yeah. You can imagine. Yeah, that were drowning and things. So he even protected him from that. Yeah. And, and remember, when I say when I say no windows, I mean there ain't no glass. There ain't no glass. You know, ain't no plastic. You know, it's either wood or it's open. You know, you don't be putting no big open holes in the side of the ark. And so there was a window in the, in the top. You know, it, it's just it's a it's a it's a terrifying it's a terrifying story. We tell the story, and I've always grown up with the story about Noah's ark. You got the picture with the big giraffe head sticking out of the boat and all that. You know? But it's a terrifying it's a terrifying story. And so anyway, let's finish. It says. Waters prevailed, uh, 19, waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. All the mountains were covered with water. Fifteen cubits upward did the water prevail, and the mountains were covered. Anybody remember how long a cubit is? Eighteen inches. Huh? Yeah, it's about 18 inches. It's, it's the size of a man's forearm. It's a cubit. So what it's saying there, 15 cubits is about 20 feet. What it's saying there is the water covered the mountaintops and then was 20 feet higher than the mountaintops. And so we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, 20 feet deep is pretty deep. I don't know if y'all have ever been in one of those wave pools. You ever been in one of them at the, uh, like the water park or whatever? You know, a lot of people, you'll see the movies about shipwrecks and the guys out in the ocean, whatever, and they say, well, I don't know why you couldn't just swim, you know. But if you get in a wave pool, I mean, you'll drown in a, in a wave pool if you ain't got one of those floats. That, them things go up and down. It'll take you, suck you down under, all those kind of things. And so the water is 20 feet deep, and that's just above the mountaintops. That's not to mention, I mean, you know how long, uh, how big, I don't know how long, how big Mount Everest is, but it's, what, a couple miles high? I don't, I don't know, probably more than a couple miles. Anyway, just think the Rocky or the Smoky Mountains, y'all know how big them are. All covered with water, and then on the highest mountain peak, 20, 20 feet higher than that. Covered with water. Everything, everything died. And so he's 20 feet above the mountaintops. Verse 21, everything dies. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth. Fowl and of cattle, beast, every creeping thing that creep upon the earth. And every man, all, whose, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life of all that was in dry land, died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man, cattle, creeping things, fowls of heaven. They were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. Everything died. Millions. The water, if you could stick your head out of the top of the ark and look around you would see millions of dead bodies floating around. You would see millions of dead animals floating around. You would see millions and millions of living things that died as God wipes away uh, all, of, all of creation. It says Noah only and those that were with him in the ark survived. And that was according to God's promise. It's a picture of salvation. And last verse says, And the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. That means it remained flooded. The waters did not start receding for 150 days. We're going to see in the next chapter that 
after that 150 days, they start receding, and it takes a long time for them to recede. But it rains 40 days, 40 nights. The springs of the deep are brought forth. The whole earth is flooded, and that flood stays stable for 150 days. Uh, the picture here that you see is, I mean, it's a picture of Christ, but it's a picture of salvation being exclusive. Everything dies. Everything. Everything is condemned. Everything is separated from God unless it is found in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. There's no other way. There's no other boat. There's no other ark. There's no other, there's no other way of escape. There's no other salvation. There's no getting by. There's no getting around it. There's no getting over it. The only thing that survives were the things, the people, and the animals that were in the ark with Noah. Everything else, I don't care what your circumstance was, I don't care if you just had a baby, or if you just got a new job, or if you just built a house, or if you had so many things to look forward to, everything else perished. And the reason was so God could keep His promise. The lines of the seeds had mixed, and there was no way to keep that line headed to bring forth Jesus. I mean, I guess, I guess there was a way, but the with the sons of God went into the daughters of men, and the line of the seed of the woman, the line of the seed of the serpent began and mixed with each other. The whole world became corrupt, and the only way to keep the promise that God made, which he will always do, was to begin again with the seed of the woman who was Noah. And the seed of the woman is always characterized by faith. Is there any questions? It's not a, not a hard lesson to understand. Next chapter is going to be him coming out. It's going to talk about the receding of the waters and then him coming out of the ark. First thing he does when he comes out is he sacrifices to God. Do you think that God shifted the atmosphere outside the ark and like there was no oxygen? Because there's the birds. I mean, they could still fly me for 40 days. Of course, they got to find a place to land, but everything died. Yeah. Do you think it's birds can't that, fly for a year. Right. But I mean, do you think it's possible that God, there was, it says there's only breath of life, which I mean, I'm sure is just life. But I mean, you think it's just like God protected them in the ark and. Everything just died like that. Or do you think it took time for everything to die? No, I think they drowned just like we would. So birds and everything just drowned? They just drowned. I mean, there's no reason from the text for me to believe that God cut the oxygen off or whatever. Right. And But... You know, the, remember, it didn't just rain for 40... I mean, it rained for 40 days, but the flood prevailed for a year. So... They had nowhere to land. Nowhere to land. Nowhere to land. Nothing to eat. Yeah, they didn't have no furniture. No, no nests, no food, no nothing. I mean, everything's underwater. Right. It all died. It all died. So, it... Well, uh outline, you know, you're talking about the ferment. It just kind of brought that to mind. Like, did it go back to like it was Genesis 1-6? Well, no, I don't think it... it in the in a in a real sense like there was no light and it was just completely decreated where God had to come back again and say let there be light I think it's just a picture of God 
the, the same language is used is what I meant by that. By saying where God separated the waters from above from the waters beneath, the same language is used here and in the next chapter to show that the, the waters from beneath came forth and the waters from above came down and it just... It just destroyed everything. But yeah, I don't think they, I don't think, there's no reason for me to think they died instantly. They, they drowned like any of us would. Okay. And my, my opinion would be that it would, the birds probably would have been the last. Because they would have hunkered down in the trees, of course, but they're, they're, they're going to be starving. And they're going to be weak and then, you know, they, they just well, drown in well, 40 days is pretty quick for everything to be covered. I mean, that's a pretty bit, that's a pretty, you know. Huh? You know, and there's some, there's some question or debate about whether, uh, whether the, the fish did actually die or whether they just. I wonder if that's why everybody says like we evolved and stuff. It's always from something that came from water. 